Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, hello, and good morning, everybody. Welcome into Outkick the Morning. I'm Charlie Arnold. We're back in studio today. The snow has resided. It's still very cold outside, but the roads are fine, which means we're right here like normal. Uh, now, if you look at the weather elsewhere in the United States, things are also pretty chilly in lots of other locations. Lots of snow I'm seeing, lots of frigidly cold temperatures. That includes in Iowa. Uh, we saw that they were having some of the worst weather in the country the past few days, but that didn't stop people from coming out to participate in the Iowa caucus. And actually, on the heels of the Iowa caucus, and also Wild Card Weekend, where we saw lots of other crazy weather in different areas, including Buffalo, it really got me thinking about the parallels between the GOP and the playoff teams. And I think I came up with some good ones as they identify with each other. So hear me out. First off, Donald Trump is the 49ers. Now, the Niners have been, for much of the season, the clear favorite to win the Super Bowl, just like Trump has been because of his surging poll numbers, which only continue to rise. Not to mention his largest margin of victory in Iowa caucus history. Let's talk about it. He is the clear favorite to be the Republican nominee. Both parties, Trump and the Niners, all they need to do at this point, just stick to what they already know works. Play game manager and the W shall be theirs. Moving on to Ron DeSantis, who just like the Cowboys, had a lot of hype surrounding them at the beginning of the season, beginning of the campaign trail. We all remember what happened to this guy at the beginning of his campaign. A little bit of a mishap on X, if you will. Now, they both had positive qualities that were tough to overlook and made them sure contenders to come up, well, probably pretty big. But it didn't take long for both DeSantis and Dallas to lose a lot of that momentum. DeSantis, because of his entirely uncharismatic demeanor, and Dallas, because of their lack of leadership, among other things. Now, that loss of momentum turned into a loss of support, and now you have DeSantis' donors reacting the same way Cowboys fans are. Uh, that's the way they're reacting to their massive L to the Packers. I mean, just check this out right here. People are not happy in Dallas as they shouldn't be. Jerry Jones also not happy at all. We heard the words that he had to say about Mike McCarthy, calling it the most disappointing loss in playoff history. But let's move on now. We've got Vivek Ramaswamy. He would be the Eagles. And that is eliminated. Philly bounced by the Bucks and asked for Vivek. Well, it just wasn't his time. And thankfully, he recognized that and bowed out gracefully after Iowa with now a full endorsement of Donald Trump. But let's also be very positive about this. The future is very bright for both. The Eagles, minus center Jason Kelsey, who just announced his retirement, congratulations to him, by the way, will no doubt have the ability to bounce back next season with a vengeance. And Vivek, come on, he has a strong possibility of winding up in Trump's White House. I mean, it's yet to be seen, but we've already heard he's going to be hitting the campaign trail with Trump these next few days. Nonetheless, it's sad to see the Eagles, a team in the Super Bowl last year, 
fall to the Bucks so horribly in the wild card. And also equally as disappointing to see Vivek muster up really just a disappointing 7% in Iowa. And finally, on to my personal least favorite, Nikki Haley. Uh, she's the Chiefs. The Chiefs, I will say, not my least favorite, but they do have some things in common. Nikki and Kansas City are still hanging in there, and they have tons of support from bases we never expected. Haley, from all the rhinos and the Democratic donors who are strategizing as a way to make her their own since Joe Biden seems to be fighting a losing battle more and more every day, and the Democrats realize that. And then there's the Chiefs. They've got the support that they never saw coming from young Taylor Swift fans who before the season, come on, let's be honest, never watched a day of football in their lives. Now, I don't want to see either of them win, Haley because she is running for the wrong party, and the Chiefs because, well, I've been to two Super Bowl games already. The Chiefs were in both of them. So just from a fan perspective, I'm ready to see a new team compete under the big lights. Okay, listen, I know I'm talking about the GOP, but we can't leave out Joe Biden. So for good measure, I'm throwing in the big guy. And guess who he is? None other than the Cleveland Browns. Uh, that's because they have a long history of being losers, both of them. Uh, their most confused team in the league. Let's look at Cleveland, for example, shelling out big time for Deshaun Watson, who did nothing more than sit on the bench while the team made an unlikely playoff run. And then there was Biden, highly confused, also highly paid, just like Deshaun Watson. But instead of being paid by the team he's assigned to, that would be the United States, it's through his son Hunter in exchange for changing foreign policy. So there you have it. They all match up quite well, I think. Uh, but unlike Hunter Biden, my next guest is a self-made man. Uh, among the NFL, presidential politics. We talked about so many different things. This guy is ultra interesting. Uh, he is the host of the Behind the Line podcast, which airs on YouTube. His name is Casey, and he is a major up-and-comer in the conservative podcast space. Take a listen. Okay, and you know, we always like to bring in different faces, new guests on Outkick the Morning. So this morning, no exception. Uh, I would love to introduce KC, the host of the Behind the Line podcast. KC, hello. Charlie. Good morning. How are you? Doing, doing well. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. I'm awesome. Okay, so I'm obviously in New York City where I've been, you know, now spending the past day talking about how we have gotten what is our first snow of the season. I'm super pumped about it. You know, nice little shake up to the everyday uh jive that we experience here in the northeast uh where are you right now and, and are you are you getting any snow yeah i'm in mobile alabama and we get snow what about once every four years yeah. and we actually got a little bit of snow this morning it was enough to let the kids out of school but nothing really accumulated on the ground it was just really a bunch of ice on the roads okay okay so not not so fun um are you no, a father? no no it's a mess are you a father yourself I have a stepdaughter. I have a stepdaughter. She's a freshman in high school. Okay. So, so she was excited to, you said not be oh. in school, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And they might be out tomorrow too. So she's got a, she's got a two day school week this week. Ooh, so she's lucky, pumped about it. lucky girl. Okay. So uh, <laughs> let's get into it. Uh, behind the line podcast. Uh, talk to me about it. I know that we overlap in many senses. Uh, we're like, not about, you know, the wokeness penetrating sports, uh, really not penetrating any areas of the world. Uh, but talk to me about your podcast how you got started, how you got so passionate about these subjects. 
Well, to be honest with you, I really got started because I was so miserable at my job. And looking back at it now, and every what, job what, I had. What was I, your job? I was in process instrumentation. I was a uh, operations manager. And so every job I had out of college, I was, I was miserable at them. And, you know, you working at ESPN, I'm sure you know how it's like to be miserable at work, you know, and when you're miserable at work, it just kind of spills over into every other aspect of your life. And one day uh, my boss called me about something and we got into an argument over the phone, one of very many. And um, I just, I just had enough. And I walked out of the office and I bought a microphone and I just started recording and, in December of 2020, that was the COVID year. Everything was locked down. So I didn't take any vacation that year. And the last three weeks of the year, I took off work. All three weeks of my vacation, I took it off. And the company was, you know, naturally mad about it. And they called me and they were like, you know, how can you justify leaving your business for three weeks consecutively? And I was like, well, <clears throat> you know, it's pretty easy because I'm not leaving my business. I'm leaving your business. And mm. so those three weeks at that point were like the best weeks of my life. I was recording videos every day and and I loved it. And at that point, I just knew that I had to get out. And so six months later, my channel had like two, maybe 3000 subscribers. And wow, it was maybe generating a few hundred dollars a month. And I just made the decision to, to quit, call my boss. And I said, I'm giving you two weeks. And my parents were erratic about it. They thought I was out of my mind. My friends thought I was out of my mind. And, but I just made a point to to just bet on myself. And yeah. I did. And six weeks later, the Olympics happened and the channel took off and it's just been rolling from there. That's so crazy. I mean, that's incredible for you uh, to make such a strong pivot. Let me just be very clear. I was not miserable at ESPN. I actually really much enjoyed oh. working at ESPN. I just, of course, had a difference in, you know, my mindset was a little different on some of the subjects we covered and how we covered them, but I really did enjoy working at ESPN. Uh, you, of course, were not even in the field of broadcasting or sports you were working in. So I can totally understand how your pivot would yeah. bring you so much more joy. I mean, being in broadcasting <laughs> is definitely one of the most fun industries, uh, at least as far as I know, because I've never worked in any other industry. Um, yeah. <laughs> I spent one like very short stint after my first job out of college. Um, after my first job, I was working in West Virginia my first MMJ multimedia journalist where I was lugging my own tripod and camera. Um, that was a miserable job. And especially like the environment I was working in in West Virginia under the management I was, um, I tried to go into PR for like a, a hot second. And uh, it was, I was like, I, this is so not fun. So um, back into TV, I went um, <laughs> anyways. Um, you've obviously been keeping a close eye on, you know, football, what's been going on lately. Uh, in college, in the pros, we've had so many big headlines recently. It's kind of mind blowing. Uh, one of which I want to touch on with you first is because you're in the South, uh, Mobile, Alabama, not too far from Tuscaloosa, where we just saw the retirement of Nick Saban. And I think a lot of us maybe saw it coming, right? There was like little rumblings here and there of maybe this is it for him. You know, people really reading into all of his signals like why is he smiling so much what's going on uh ultimately he did decide to retire and uh I want to get your take on that I mean there's already been a new hire for head coach at Alabama so like what do you feel about this coaching transition and do you have any great saving stories you can share with us 
Yeah, like you said, I wasn't all that surprised that he retired. I think <clears throat> I think people like Reggie Bush are right. I think the the name, image, and likeness deals and the wide open transfer portal. I think that had a lot to do with saving retiring. You know, my dad's 72 years old. And one thing I've learned about my dad as he's gotten older is that older dudes don't like change. And, you know, for decades, Nick Saban had this system and it worked to perfection. And all the Neil deals, the transfer portal, all that, it just, mm -hmm. it changed everything about college football. I just don't think he, I don't think he enjoyed it anymore. So yeah, I he's think like he retired. He's a traditional guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as, as far as Kalen DeBoer is concerned, I feel like he's almost like stepping into an impossible position. Of you course. know, obviously, you know, obviously when Alabama calls, you can't turn it down. But I almost feel like you want to be the guy that comes after the guy that replaces yeah. the legendary coach. And you got all these Alabama players transferring out. And, yeah. you know, if he gets off to a slow start, this fan base down here, they we'll will turn, turn on him quickly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one thing about Alabama fans, they don't, they don't request greatness. They kind of expect it. And if Man. you don't deliver, then you'll be gone quickly. Yeah. That's such a good point. And we've talked about that before and it is, it's really a, an impossible situation that Kalen's stepping into and he has to know that. Right. I mean, this isn't something he's like, Oh, no problem. Like leave it to me. Things are going to be fine. Like he realizes that he's following, you know, likely the greatest coach, in college history. I mean, there's just no way around it. And like you said, the fan base just expects so much. So, I mean, what kind of leeway will he be given, especially if there is tons of movement with the players transferring out, you know, you have a whole new scheme and, you know, coaching environment you're setting. I mean, it's just, what do you imagine it is going to be like this season for him and, and for the program in general? Yeah. I feel like this year he'll probably given a little bit of leeway, but Going into year two, if they don't start seeing like real results, then it wouldn't surprise me if he was gone, gone by but year that feels, two. But that feels like, you know, you have so much stability for, I mean, how many years was it under Nick Saban? Was it 17, something like that? 07 to, yeah, I 16, think it was 17 years. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you have so much stability for so long. And then to bring in someone new and kick him out after two years, it just feels like, that's something Alabama's not used to. I, I almost feel like getting, you know, getting rid of him and then bringing someone else new in and who knows how they're going to do and then getting rid of them. I mean, that's just kind of like, in my opinion, like a not a good look for, for Alabama. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But like I said, you know, the fan base down here is very, very demanding. And, and so, you know, if he, if he starts slow this year and then you go into year two and they're, they're six and six, you know, the fan base isn't going to tolerate it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, Definitely. I'm with you on that one. Um, I, I want to get back to your podcast for a second because my producer just brought up a really interesting point. Uh, you know, when you were only talking sports, you, you reached a certain level. But once you started talking about the things that a lot of people are scared to talk about, that being, you know, being very genuine in your thoughts and, you know, as far as your political views and and how you disagree with a lot of how the mainstream media covers certain sporting news and events, that's when you really started seeing more success on your podcast. What do you attribute that to? I mean, there's obviously a hunger by sports fans who just want to hear it straight up. They don't want their mind, you know, their, their headlines to be polluted with politically correct and all this and that, like kind of similar to what we see on, on most of the channels when you turn on your screen to watch 
sporting events. Um, did you recognize that right away? Uh, once you started kind of shifting gears and being more authentic with the way you delivered your podcast and the news? Yeah, I did. I did. And actually for the longest time I was fighting against it because I was like that. I was, I was one of the people that wanted the sports just to be about the sports. I didn't want the politics to be mixed with it, but it just became so prevalent and you had the Megan Rapinos and then the yeah. summer of 2020 in the NBA. And I just started to notice that the more I talked about that stuff, that's what people wanted to hear about. And it was almost like I was giving voice to people who didn't have a platform to speak it because at the time, everything in the mainstream media was the woke and the far left and um, the Black Lives Matter and the kneeling for the national anthem. And there were very, very few people at the time that were actually speaking against it. Clay Travis is actually one of them. And he yeah. was one of very few. And I, I noticed that those videos were the most popular. But even at the time, I was still trying to not dive into it 100% because I still wanted the channel to be about sports. And then yes. eventually I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to embrace it. And I just started shifting away from talking about the games on the field to more discussing what's going on in the media. And I started talking about late night shows and I started talking about things like Saturday Night Live. And I just kind of diversified, for lack of a better word, the channel. Yeah, I think that people are craving so much these days, just really genuine conversations <laughs> in authentic viewpoints that uh, I think that was obviously a good move. I mean look where I am too. So I clearly recognize yeah, yeah, what yeah. you're doing. <laughs> okay. So you're a big, you're a big, well, actually, do I want to say you're a big Cowboys fan or you're a big fan talking about the Cowboys? I'm a big Saints fan. All New Orleans. Fan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So therefore this, there would be the latter. You're, you're a big fan of talking about the Cowboys and by yeah, that yeah. Mean in the most, um, you know, again, authentic of ways, which right now they deserve because uh, they made a mess of themselves uh, the other day in their game. Uh, what do you think is the real problem in Dallas? Like, is it Mike McCarthy? Is it Dak Prescott? What's happening in, in Dallas? You know, I know a lot of the, the fans want to blame it on Mike McCarthy, but I've always thought it was Dak Prescott. I thought it was Dak Prescott when Jason Garrett was coaching in Dallas. And, you know, Dak Prescott looks really, really good on paper. And I've always called him, you know, the great illusion because he plays teams like the Giants. He beats them 40 to nothing. He plays teams, you know, like the Jets and, you know, all these non-playoff teams, Dak looks great against. Mm -hmm. And then he plays a team like the Niners, gets beat by 32 points, plays the Bills 21. And I just, I don't think the two and five playoff record is an accident. And no. his first four or five years when Jason Garrett was there, Jason Garrett took all the blame, took all the blame from the fans, all the blame from the media. Jason Garrett gets fired. They bring in Mike McCarthy. Guys won a Super Bowl. Guys coached in four NFC championship games. They win 12 games in a row, three years in a row. And they still can't win in the playoffs. And they've won one playoff game in the last three years. And, you know, Dak is taking a lot of the heat this go around, but there's still a lot of people calling for Mike McCarthy to be fired. Yeah. Do you foresee I don't that think happening? Mike McCarthy, go ahead. Do you foresee that happening? 
I don't anymore. I thought if he was going to be fired, it was going to be yesterday. Okay. Um, and so I don't think I don't think Mike McCarthy is going to be fired at this point. But even if you did fire, even if Jerry Jones fired him, it doesn't solve the quarterback problem. Right. And I was reading something yesterday on Bleacher Report where I think 2024 is the final year of Dak's contract, and Jerry Jones is talking that, about. Yeah. Yeah, they're talking about extending him, and he's making forty million a year this season. You extend him, he's going up to fifty million, and so you're paying ten million more dollars, and you're still not getting results. So, I just don't think it's going to fix the problem. That I think Dak is the main problem. I mean, there's been a you know, it's it's been a, a bit of a roller coaster for Dak Prescott with the Cowboys. You know, as far as injuries go, uh, postseason blunders. I mean, it's just there's so many times you look at the Cowboys and you're like, wait a second, did did they hold practice this week? I'm I'm unsure. It <laughs> uh, doesn't look like they're all on the same page uh, from a lot of different perspectives there. Um, also not on the same page, you know, switching from sports into politics. Uh, the way that many of our states are handling the border crisis, uh, the war going on in Israel, different types of protests, you know, the anti-Israel sentiment that has started really running rampant all over our country. Um, I know in New York, they handle things one way here, but in the South, KC, things to be, see, see, things seem to be very different. So let's take a look at this video and then we'll get into it. We do it. <laughs> okay, so Casey, obviously the Texans love them. I mean, not not the football team, the actual residents of Texas. Um, really, really standing strong in not letting these pro-Palestine protesters disrupt their lives each and every day, which I have to say I respect so much because here in New York, I oftentimes very much regularly these days. I can't even get to work because people are just marching down the street. They have no regard for other people who are living their lives. Obviously, the things they're saying, I have no respect for either, uh, nor do many other people. But you can't say anything. Otherwise, you know, you're the one portrayed as the bad guy. Um, mm -hmm. What does it say about the people in Texas who just will not stand for this? I mean, as, as well as so many other things, but we'll start with the pro-Palestine protests. Well, you know, who was it? Jason Aldean over the summer last year, that Try That in a Small yes. Town song that created Love so that. much controversy. Yeah. It was actually true what he was saying. Like, it just doesn't fly in a small town. And I think the video you're talking about, they had that one or two, the, the pro-Palestinian protesters. And it looked like there was a bunch of, you know, older people in there that just escorted them out of the building. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I don't understand about this, you know, Israel was the one that got attacked. And I don't understand when we started to support terrorists in this country. I saw something a while back where Gen Z has a favorable opinion of Osama bin Laden. And I know, right? It's like, know, what world are we living in? 
yeah, it's like, when did that start happening? Like, when did we start supporting the other side? And outside of maybe England, Israel's always been our number, our number one ally. And it seems like there's a, there's a very small contingent in this country, I believe, that is supportive of Palestine. I think the majority of people feel like you and I do. We support Israel. And, you know, as far as the southern border is concerned, you know, one thing that Gavin Newsom has figured out is the southern border, because I saw something a couple of months ago where there's actually reverse migration happening in California, where oh, yeah. there's, you saw that where there's more Californians moving to Mexico than uh, people moving from Mexico to California. So it seems like all you got to do to solve the problem at the southern border is to make life so miserable in your state and people will just leave willingly. To wrap things up, we just started off a new year. Whether it's sports, politics, you know, there's there's just so many what ifs about 2024. What headlines do you imagine are going to be ones that we are talking? I mean, obviously, the election has to be a big one. Um, so, you know, if you want to touch on the election, uh, we just saw the results from the Iowa caucus last night. Trump, you know, being ever so dominant, uh, largest margin of victory ever in Iowa caucus history. Uh, hats off to him. I'm happy to see that. Um, what headlines do you think are going to be the ones we're talking about the most this year? You know, obviously, I think it's going to be the election. And with Trump, you know, you mentioned largest margin of victory ever. You know, I think Trump's going to be the nominee, but they're just it just feels different. I don't know if it's just me, but it just feels different this time around, like 2015, 2016 Trump. It, there was almost like a magic to his campaign and you know, you couldn't turn on your TV in 2016 without every media outlet covering Trump. And I remember he was having rallies. He had one down here at a, a football stadium, 30, 40,000 people were packed into it. And I just don't feel like Trump has the same momentum this time around that he did, you know, eight years ago. I think the media is almost purposefully ignoring him a lot besides covering the trial stuff. They're not yeah. covering his campaign as much. And so it's hard for you to gain momentum when you're not making headlines. Um, obviously, you know, I'm going to support Trump. I really wanted to see Vivek do better. And like, he, yeah, the last he, few would, months, he came he's in really last grown. place. Huh? Oh, I know, I know, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. I was, and, you know, actually, there was, a lot I was of, actually shocked to see DeSantis came in in second the second place that he did i was i was not expecting that so good for him and you know on paper on paper ron DeSantis is almost like a perfect candidate mm -hmm. on paper i just don't think he has enough charisma to to draw nationally you know a lot of times in in, in a national election and presidential politics it goes to the uh the most popular or most relatable candidate and i just don't i think ron DeSantis is having a hard time connecting with people which is Vivek, though. And if we're talking about most relatable, I mean, you know, Trump aside, Vivek is like, I mean, he was, a, I never expected much out of him. And then he started talking and I was like, wow, this guy is really impressive. Um, I know that him and Trump have a little bit of beef now. We'll see mm -hmm. if that, you know, they can one-sided, the one-sided, <laughs> it seems. I really, of course, um, although I, I think Vivek made a mistake putting that post up. Uh, you know, save Trump, vote Vivek. I, I, I don't think that was a smart move. Um, but I hope they can, you know, come onto good terms because I really would like to see Vivek in Trump's White House. And another thing about Vivek that draws me to him is 
you always got to question when the media is like 100% against somebody. And it seems like media from both sides are getting behind Nikki Haley and they are just trying to tarnish Vivek Ramaswamy. And it just always makes me wonder why, like anytime the media is against somebody, especially full force like that, it always makes me wonder why. And I would assume it's because he's doing and saying the right things and they're completely against it. Yeah. 1000%. Um, (laughs) He's a threat and that's why they are trying to tarnish his reputation. Um, and and just just quickly, I, I I just Trump he is not politically correct uh, at all, which I totally support. And I have to say, as as mean as it is, I I every time I hear the name Bird Brain referring to Nikki Haley, I die of laughter. So thank <laughs> yeah, you to yeah. former President Trump for bringing us a little bit. Of yeah, I agree. There. Uh, Casey, thank you so so much. I I just want to make sure I'm clear. Was this your first interview that you've done? Yeah, but you you were the very first one. Wow, guys, first interview for KC. Round of applause. You were fantastic. I would never have known. Um, some people like when Thank the you. You know, red light comes on, they're like, oh, you were you're great. <laughs> Maybe you should start doing more interviews. Yeah, I would be down for it. I appreciate awesome. you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, have a fantastic day. I hope uh your stepdaughter gets another snow day. Uh yeah, she does my, too. my days as a high school high school girl, I it would have brought me so much joy. So I I hope that for her. And uh, keep keep up the good work. Thank you so much for coming on. All right. Thanks for having me, Charlie. Have a good one. Outkick the morning. We'll be right back after a short break. Stay tuned. Okay. Another big thank you to Casey for his time and insight. Uh, also, just a little bit of an update, you know, to bring it back full circle Uh, as I was referring to Vivek, possibly being in Trump's White House. I mean, who knows? We could even see him as a running mate, for all we know, because last night the two were together campaigning in New Hampshire. The crowd cheering VP when Vivek was on stage with Trump. Trump didn't shut down the notion, but he did say, Vivek, great guy, going to be working with us, and he's going to be working with us for a long time. So... We will read into that as much as we possibly can. It excites me. I like the thought of it. Uh, But, of course, we'll see what happens. Then uh, on the uh, note of the football games this weekend, we'll see what happens with those as well. Going to be lots of exciting things coming up in the next couple of days. Uh, Okay, finally, to wrap things up, John Hopkins has officially gone mad after they're sending out a letter claiming the following groups have privilege. Now, bear with me here while I get through this list. It's pretty ridiculous. So these are the groups... John Hopkins says have privilege. White people, able-bodied people, heterosexuals, cisgender people, males, Christians, middle or owning class people, middle-aged people, English-speaking people. Literally outrageous. Uh, The letter described the word privilege as a set of unearned benefits. So basically, if you're born healthy, you have unearned benefits. You did not earn them. You just came out of the womb healthy. So sorry for you. You are, you are now considered to be privileged. Um, these are unearned benefits to people who are in a specific social group. And the letter was issued, here's also, you won't be surprised, by Chief Diversity Officer Sharita Hill-Golden. Yeah, that's a job. And while the, uh, the Johns Hopkins dean did apologize for this ridiculous list, the diversity officer got to keep her job because 
of course, naturally, because I have to imagine she has some qualities that she did not put on this list. So therefore, she deserves the job, right? Uh, but Johns Hopkins is not alone. Higher education is diluted with pronouns, safe spaces, woke nonsense, everywhere you look. This we already know. And now it's even leaking into sports. A Division III NCAA conference, the Centennial Conference, is implementing DEI as a core principle to the programs. No longer does it matter your credentials, your height, your skill set, the level at which you can play. Now it's about DEI. I don't know. I, I feel like if I'm an athlete, if I'm on a team, if I'm running an athletic program, you would think winning championships would be the biggest goal of a team or a conference, but no. Fostering a diverse environment is at the forefront of what the Centennial Conference wishes to accomplish. So this conference is now promising to, quote, recruit and retain diverse representation in conference membership, athletic administration, coaching, staff, and student athletes. So everything. To which my response is the same as Elon Musk said a few weeks ago when he wrecked Mark Cuban with this statement. Cool. So when should we expect to see a short white Asian woman on the Mavs? Uh, this is just what it is. Uh, meritocracy has completely gone by the wayside. It's all about DEI now. And it's not just in the same spaces that we're used to seeing. I mean, quite frankly, sports is only based on meritocracy. I mean, even in some leagues, Sharita, whatever her name was, the DEI officer at the university, most of the athletes don't even go on that list. So none of this makes sense. But it doesn't matter. When I'm watching the NFL, I do not care who is on the field. I don't care what ethnic, ethnic background they're comprised of. I don't care what color they are. I only care if they can do their job and do it well. That is the only point of sports is to win games. That's it. So, uh, unfortunately, we're heading down this road. I made a speech a couple of weeks ago that I thought maybe things were starting to shift in 2024. Maybe we're starting to see the tides turn just a little bit, but um, I must have been losing my mind because if this is any indication of what we are going to experience in 2024, we're in for a hell of a long year, my friends. Uh, okay, on that note, it is time to say goodbye, but I say thank you so very much for being here with me for Outkick the Morning. Please make sure you're tuning in each and every day. New episodes drop every single morning. And make sure to follow me on social media at Charlie on TV. And with that, everyone, it's Wednesday. It's hump day. Have a good one. I'll see you tomorrow.